like I said, we've been, if you've been journeying with us, um, really since the start of the year, we've had a, a theme. There's sort of been three separate series, but the start of the year and then we had one around Lent and we're in a teaching series now that um, we're calling Something Happening in the Soil. And they've had a very similar, um, the very similar kind of um, uh, theme that we're going to pick up on today. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to actually ask Robert to come and put Paul to come and read uh, our scripture for the today. We're going to sort of let this sit here. We're going to come back to it a little bit later. We're just going to let this sit right up the front. It's good to sort of have the lens of scripture through which we view everything I'm about to say. Um, thanks, Mark. Hi, um, today's reading is from Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 31 onwards, the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Great. Thanks, Paul. So we've had, um, we'll come back to Matthew 13 in a bit, but we've been happy, you can see, it's got this agricultural theme, this, uh, this seed theme again, particularly with the, the parable of the mustard seed here. We've used, um, from the start of the year, we've used this picture, um, this metaphor, uh, as a bit of a framework to, to talk, talk about a bunch of things because it's a framework we see so much of Scripture is written and particularly the parables of Jesus have this agricultural theme. Um, and just as a little bit of kind of revision or catching up to remind you, broadly we'll, we've looked at three, we've talked about three different elements. The soil in this little garden here, the soil, the seed and the trellis, which is the thing. And if you imagine that's a, I think a tomato vine, or, it's tomato or vine? I always get really trapped when I start talking like I know about this stuff. Not really, no. You're being kind to me because you nodded and then not really, but nice try. Some have vines. Some have vines. There's some kind of viney thing there that's going to grow um, and it grows up the trellis. And the way we've looked at this is mostly, and, and we find this in Scripture, that soil, our, uh, the soil is our hearts or our lives the seed is God's work in us by his spirit, what God does in us. And then the trellis, and this was particularly the first um, kind of series we looked at at the start of the year, was the, our, either individually or collectively, our habits and our behaviours, uh, and we looked about our liturgy. It's the pattern of which we worship. We all worship something. And the things we do regularly, actually, they're the things we worship. To, to some degree and so we come together and we have a they're the things that we think are uh, important and they shape our lives and so our patterns in the same way that as um, the, the the plant grows it's going to shape the plant in a certain direction so do the the habits for good and for bad individually or collectively um, and so a couple of weeks ago I talked about you, again you'll be probably reasonably familiar perhaps if you've been around churches for a while the Jesus told a, the parable. It's often called the parable of the soil. Uh, sorry, of the, of the sower, but it's probably more correctively correctly described as the parable of the soils, because Jesus talked about there was a sower, which is God, because God has the seed. It's God's seed. 
throwing out seeds, but it lands in different kinds of soil. And depending on the kind of soil, and this is where it's like the hearts or the lives that God's work lands in, it has a different result. So there's, the, there's a stone. It's not too hard to figure out what Jesus is saying here. If it's stony, hard ground, then it just doesn't even go in. Sometimes it's thorny ground where it actually starts growing and then it gets choked. And obviously the, the, um, the outcome is to say, what kind of soil are you for God's work? Are you good soil? Uh, and, and that's, again, if you've been around churches, well, that's an often used example of, to talk about ourselves, are we good soil for what God's doing? Because there's nothing wrong with the seed. If you think about a seed, every seed has the potential for a tree, has a potential for the fullness. It's going to be about where that seed is planted and then the conditions in which it grows, which will, def- uh, which will determine the fruit. And again, that's, that's the biblical way of talking about like success things going well is actually in scripture it's talking about fruit in our lives now this morning this morning i want to pivot a little bit and really in preparation for what tim's going to talk about and you might remember a couple of weeks ago i said there's two ways for us to look at this idea there's something happening in the soil we've had this since um easter we came and literally planted seeds and the this wheat has grown as a way of saying we recognize that actually for things to bear fruit, something's got to die. And that was the picture of Jesus dying, and it's what he said of himself. Unless, unless a seed dies, uh, it dies alone. It, but if, if it goes into the soil, it can produce much fruit. And so this has stood as a bit of an example of what we are or would hope to be. Good soil in which God's bringing something forth. There's another um, application of this, of something happening in the soil. Um, which is actually about the soil of our neighbourhood. So here I want to do a little slight pivot and we see this sort of application come up as well. But see if you can come with me, where we actually think about the soil as our neighbourhoods. And again, kind of two levels. Work with me as we talk about this today. Think about us collectively. So as a church... We've got a neighbourhood and we've identified that and stayed really, made a whole lot of decisions over, over 20 years now, much over 30 years now. It's Cornerstone since it was planted to say the inner northwest is kind of the neighbourhood of where we're to be located. But in that time, it's not like, um, it's not like everyone who has called Cornerstone home comes from the inner northwest. And there's people here who've travelled from lots of a long, a long way away um, and some people who travel each week regularly a long way away so we've all got our individual neighborhoods as well i want you to think about your street as we're talking about the neighborhood think locally the people you know and you share life with and in this application the seed is actually god's work through us so kind of the same thing because god is always working in us to work through us but in particular uh, when it comes to Matthew 13 and we're, what we're going to talk about, think about God's work through you. So in, a, in essence, you are the seed. You are planted in your neighbourhood. I wonder how intentionally you think about that. Do you think about your sense of your presence in your street 
And it, it might involve your school, it might even involve your workplace. Maybe some of you might more easily think, well, really, my neighbourhood's kind of my workplace. Um, how intentionally do you think... Are you there by accident, by circumstance, because that was, that was the place, the cheapest place you could get rent? It was just when you, you threw a, you know, you threw a pin at a map, that's where... Or do you believe that God is genuinely sovereign and has a sense of purpose and participation in that. So I want you to reflect on that. You don't have to, it's not, you don't have to answer that. You can reflect on But thank you for those who did. And again, the trellis is still our individual habits um, or behaviours there. So that's what we're sort of working with uh, this morning. Now, here's an interesting thing. I had a conversation this week with Josh, who's our teaching pastor. And most of you will know, Josh has another role during the week. He's a teaching pastor for our church, but he's also the head of ministry for Alpha, Cruz, Alpha Crucis, which is a Bible college. And he was talking to me about a lecture that he gave just in the last week to some um, sort of aspiring pastors and leaders. And it was around evangelism. And he had this quote. Now, I need to... His PowerPoint skills are clearly better than mine because that PowerPoint moves. It's, I don't know how he did it. It's impressive. Um, but I need to just walk you through the, the um, statistics. This is done by Barna Research, which is a, um, a Christian research, um, a Christian research um, sort of institute in the States. And they asked back in 1993, I think it is. Yeah, 1993, they asked a large group. I'm not sure what it is, a couple of thousand groups of Christ, uh, individual Christians. Two questions. And basically, the way it works out is, do you think that evangelism, reaching people, is the work of individuals or the work of the local church? And then they asked them again in 2018. And so what you see there, so let me, uh, if you can't read this question here, it says, converting people to Christianity is the job of the local church, agree or disagree? And then the second statement, every Christian has responsibility, every Christian has responsibility to share their faith. Can you see how, so that's when it goes back to, this is, that's the start and now this is now. So basically over that time, 15 or so years, it's changed and, and you, Josh has got the, sum, uh, the summary here. Christians are increasingly seeing the task of evangelism as optional and something the institutional the institutional church is responsible for rather than the individual. Whose job is it to reach people? Oh, that's the church. That's the church's job. And, and perhaps behind some of that statement, there could be individuals saying, and I'm part of that, but really it's the church, as opposed to in 1993, a far greater majority of people were saying, well, that's our responsibility in the church to do some things as well. And that's changed. Josh asks a really good question, and I reckon it's such a good question. I'm going to ask you guys too. Why do you think that might be? So I'm going to ask you to get into a little group and have a discussion. Why do you think that might have changed? And I'm going to ask you to do two things when you discuss. To be as honest as you can and be as kind as you can at the same time. Those two things at the same time are near impossible in the 21st century, but I reckon you can pull it off. Be as kind as you can and as honest you, as you can at the same time. Ready, set, go. Find someone to discuss that with. We'll come back and uh, hear from you.
Good point. This is the Western church. Well, this is the church in America. I reckon it's true for Australia, but it's definitely the Western church, not the global church. Thank you. It's definitely, it's the American church, really, but I reckon we'd be exactly the same numbers for us. We can posit or similar. Um, sorry, I, you, you may or may not want to continue that conversation. Again, I know there's a lot of people in the room here who'd have some really great things to say. Um, I wonder, could we do a quick survey of the room? If you, if you thought someone in your group said something really smart or if you thought you said something really smart um, or, or, or insightful or whatever. Um, yes, Depot. Come on. Um, we believe there's no wrong or right answer here. So, Pastor Graham, uh, we just said our discussion here. Now, um, the, we use question to answer that question. And what we said was that uh, if we say the church, who is the church? Uh, the church is made up of individual. So, uh, if we look at it from that perspective, um, that individuals here, we make up the church, uh, then uh, it's our responsibility uh, to, to do the evangelism. But my brother here testified now added a flavor to that. He said, yes, he agrees with that. But um, the church should com uh, provide the environment where whoever has been converted, uh, there'll be opportunity for growth. And he gave the analogy of a beehive that, uh, you see, the hive must be there for, you know, bees to come there. And yeah, that was our discussion. Any other statements? Yeah, Chris. Yeah, we, I was uh, chatting to Penn here. Um, we were sort of um, interesting thought about the fact that it, it, these days we seem to outsource a lot of things. Sort of, it's like it's a mindset. I know it's, it is in the organisation I work in. It's almost like we're outsourcing evangelism to someone else. We don't sort of take, like to take the responsibility and the accountability. Penn was saying, you know, we'd pr prefer to put that onto a bigger body rather than ourselves. And I, th I think the other reason is too, as we go into a move through time we have a, a situation where Christians are more and more on the nose in society it's harder to evangelize it's harder to acknowledge being a Christian and to reach out and I think uh, that's part of it too perhaps we forget that it's actually not the church or our responsibility to convert people it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel and that's both an individual and a church thing you know and uh, we've got to trust God even if we don't see people converted our responsibility is to get the message out there and we sort of, maybe we sort of uh, get a bit scared by the way society is these days. Maybe one more, uh, one more. That's really great stuff. Anyone know or not? I th uh, someone's pointing to someone. Great, yeah, Renata. Uh, one thing we discussed in the group was how it's kind of difficult, like even what you were talking about before when you were saying, say it in a nice way, but not in a 
but still be honest. And it's hard to do that nowadays, to be honest, because if your views don't align with certain people, there are very loud groups, and it's a good chance of you being targeted, say you do it at work or something, targeted, ostracized, or left out. But I think it's also, it's a fear I think is a big thing, fear of what will happen to me if I do do this. I think the other thing as well is I think we've become much more individualized. I mean, that's the way of Australian society, I think, mostly. That's just me, maybe. Um, but I think we're much more about self-preservation, much more about uh, someone else can do it, I'm doing this, or something like that. Could be a mindset as well. There are various factors, but I think ultimately it's a responsibility of both. I mean, as our own Christians, it's our responsibility to carry our own crosses, but I think it's also, as a church, as an institute, kind of like what Dippo said, to provide the opportunity and stuff or provide the um, environment to continue that one. Thanks so much. And I think they're, I mean, all completely unsurprisingly, given who I know is in the room, um, and something I think as a church we've we've tried to, you know, wrestle with and, and be honest about our own place in that. I think all of those things are so um, are so spot on. I think the idea of, you know, the thing that came through about it's both our responsibilities. I think, yes, I amen to that. I think that's when it's helpful to think about the idea of the Vatemans have a neighbourhood out at Fernie Grove and then we've got a collective neighbourhood. So it's, it, that, that's a way of us understanding if, if it's t- for us to be present um, in our neighbourhood, to be present and presencing Jesus, to be the body of Christ in our neighbourhood. There's a sense in which we've got a collective one and then we've got our own individual ones as well. Sometimes there might be overlap uh, with that. I, I want to come back to, I, I want to suggest that actually um, all of those things are absolutely True, one of the things perhaps of that shift has been for how we understand what evangelism is and how we have understood, particularly for the church in the West. I think it's really important to to ground this in the context of the church in the West. So America, England, um, uh, Australia, New Zealand. Um, That perhaps we've understood the challenge of evangelism is primarily one about talking about ideas talking about the, the right ideas about God, that, that evangelism is to communicate, look, we've got this view of the world, the world's like this in the nature of sin, and we've got this view of an idea about who Jesus is and born of experience and conviction. But it's about a conversation. And when we're evangelizing someone, we're evangelizing someone who has different ideas. And the idea is, uh, the, the goal is for that person to change their ideas. And that's not wrong. It's just not full. I think if we go back to, this is where um, Matthew, the parable of the mustard seed. It's really important with the parables to note that Jesus, almost exclusively in the way Matthew records them, almost exclusively he begins with the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, he usually says, which is interchangeable. The kingdom of God, the king. it's the realm where God's ideas are supreme. In the same way, we're, we're all into um, monarchs at the moment and, and the, the, there was lots of conversation about the realms of King Charles III. It's wherever King, wherever King Charles reigns, wherever he's... Now, this is where the analogy breaks down a little because he actually has less power these days. 
but it used to be supreme. Wherever King Charles's or the monarch's ideas and values ruled supreme, that's how we should think about the kingdom. Certainly not about as, as, a, as a, some kind of spiritual or geographical place. It's a realm. So the kingdom of God has come to my heart. Being personally Graham Clark, the realm of Graham Clark, the ideas, the thoughts, the values, as much as I can live out, they reign supreme in my heart. And we're looking to see that go from heart to heart, life to life. Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about the church or even Christianity. Slight difference. He's talking about how does the kingdom of heaven advance? How do the values of Jesus travel from life to life, community to community? What are those values? Well, sacrifice, humility, peace, patience, love, reconciliation, generosity. These are all the things that Jesus taught about. And so in the Great Commission, where Jesus says, now go into the world, baptizing believers in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to be my disciples, teaching them all that I have taught, he's not saying the ideas. He's saying, and the first believers, those apostles would have gone, oh, well, what did he teach us about? Well, he's, he's shown us about radical love that crosses taboos and boundaries, like at the woman at the well. He taught us that because he showed us, he lived it out. We all know that, that the most effective way to be taught something, usually for most people, is to see it, to see it outworked. So when Jesus is talking here about the kingdom of heaven, it's like a mustard seed. He's saying, this is how it goes. Now, I spent a long time, because of the nature of the person I am growing up, the experiences I, I had, when I came into kind of leadership and in, in churches and then later to be a pastor, I often started at the big thing. I would think about Brisbane. And I don't think this was a bad thing, but it, was a little, it wasn't the full picture I've come to realise. I would think, what's the big thing that needs to happen for the kingdom of heaven to advance in our city? We need to get all the churches together and do this big thing and rent out Lang Park and kind of, you know, those kind of ideas. They're not bad. They're not wrong. Jesus is saying, here, it actually starts really small. It starts really small. Think of a small mustard seed. That, that, that act of forgiveness, of grace, of generosity, of reconciliation, going life to life. And then it grows. And it becomes something when the kingdom takes hold in a person's life, or in a family's life, or in a community of faith life, when it takes hold, it becomes a kind of place where others come and find refuge. The birds of the air come and find refuge. But it starts small. And I am so convinced and challenged in my life, and so I'm sharing the challenge with you all. <laughs> I'm sharing the challenge on behalf of me, but on behalf of us that to get really big, we got to get really small. we got to start with the small things because that's what Jesus is saying. He goes on to talk about the parable of the year. So the parable of the mustard seed, often you may have heard that before and it's like the idea that it's, it's numerical. It just starts like a church. I've often heard this preach. It's just one life at a time. You're planning it's just one, then you add another and it's, they're talking about the church. It's not wrong. It's got a principle, but actually it's Jesus is talking even smaller than that. 
He's talking about the kingdom of heaven in lives. It's so small. It's so transferable. It's so doable, is what he's saying. So it's much smaller than you think. And then he talks about the parable of yeast. And he's saying, and it's much more integrated than you think. After you bake bread, can you pull the yeast out? This is the picture. After you bake, can you withdraw the yeast? This is what he's trying to say. No, it goes through everything. Very similar to his salt and light. It just, once it's in, it's there. And so it permeates. And again, the values of the kingdom permeate life. When it's lived out authentically, it becomes the culture of someone's life, the culture of someone's family, the culture of... And actually, as that gets lived out and as it goes into your neighbourhood and you carry it, you carry the yeast, just find a small, immersive way to live it out. And this is the essence of ministry in our neighbourhoods. Not what's the biggest thing you can do. What's the smallest thing you can do? What's the smallest thing you can do? You know, my next-door neighbour... Um, they've been in our, they've been in our um, street for, I think, 60 years. They've raised their children. They've uh, lived in the street. They've seen so many people come and go. And just recently, George from across the street passed away at the beginning of the year. And he's the last of the, the OGs of Churston Street, Chermside West. And they are just such beautiful people. And... You're going to be shocked by this. I regularly forget which night bin night is. In fact, without a word of lie, it's either Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't remember. One of the reasons why I haven't yet grounded in is because Margaret, every week, she beats me to it. And I've got, oh, because the bins are out. And she just takes the bins out every week. And she does all these things for people up and down the street. I'm so convicted and, and recently that she presences herself <laughs> in a generous way. Here, I, she knows my pastor. They're, we're, we're, most people live around, I know them. But my presence in my neighbourhood and me presencing Jesus doesn't really do credit. They see me come in and out all the time. They see me be very busy. But I'm really challenged in this season afresh to say, what is it that I'm doing in my neighbourhood? What's the smallest thing? And so I've got some ideas. I'm sharing that so you can ask me about it. How am I going with it? I might share some stories. I actually think this is a time where we need to share some more stories of this. The challenge of us being in the neighbourhood, and Tim's going to pick this up and maybe talk a little bit about how we might do that as a church next week. But I really think um, and believe part of what the Holy Spirit's doing in the soil of our lives is about the soil of our neighbourhoods to really challenge us. Say, what is the small thing that could lead to a big thing? But not because we want the big thing, because we see the small thing as the way in which we can presence the values of Jesus in our neighbourhood. I'm going to play a video now. Um, and just a little bit of context as we play it, do we finish? Then we're going to um, uh, finish our time together. We'll have some worship. But... Um, this, was a, uh, this is a, an update. It actually starts the church we were at in Geelong. Called, it's called One Hope. And so this is an update to the church about a ministry that has become, as you'll see, um, a mustard tree. But it started from this family 16 years ago, decided to move into with great a sense of sending as missionaries 
God called them to a community uh, in the northern suburbs of Geelong that is amongst, has got some of the, it's at the top of a whole lot of lists that you don't want your suburb to be at the top of in terms of social indicators. And they moved in and they were, and these guys lived this out in so many ways. But the first thing, one of the first things they did when they bought a house, they raised their kids there, is that they convinced their neighbours to knock down their fences. So it created an urban farm. And from that, you'll see a whole lot of things have grown since then. 